and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who once saved up his embassy coupons so he could buy a presentation plate featuring the Queen of Hearts, Lady Diana, gone too soon and forever in our hearts. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Very well. <laughs> it was quite a surprising introduction there. Um, I think the only thing I... Well... I mean, when I, when I was a... A committed smoker, um, and I smoked Regal for a while before I dis- before I went all hipster and started smoking Marlboro Lights in about 1999. We used to collect focus points, but we only ever used them to mm. like make roaches for joints. <laughs> we never saved them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I ever yeah save points. I I was always uh, a Marlboro Light man. In fact, that's a lie. I originally started off on Marlboro Red because I thought it was hard. And then I switched to Marlboro Lights because I remember reading in a Sky magazine. Remember Sky magazine? Not the TV network. It was like a lads mag. And I remember reading they had an interview with Tim Roth and like one of the first lines was like he just casually places his pack of Marlboro Lights on the table. And I was like, oh, Tim Roth smokes Marlboro Lights. I need to start smoking Marlboro Lights. So I blame Tim Roth for that. I had a picture of a celebrated actress, a picture, sorry, poster of celebrated actress Anna Friel from Sky Magazine, mm. uh, topless, but with her arms folded over her naked breasts because she was a serious actress on my bedroom wall um, for quite a long time. When I was about 17, 18, 19 from Sky Magazine. Sky Magazine was kind of the... It wasn't quite... It was almost like loaded light. Yeah. Like it was in between look in and fast forward, <laughs> but not quite loaded. <laughs> and then not quite Mayfair. Yeah, I think I'd have probably put it somewhere between loaded and FHM with a little bit of look in. Mm. <laughs> I'd forgotten about... <laughs> I'd forgotten about fast forward. But... See, you mentioned looking, right? When I, when my dad first separated, my dad used to, my, my dad used to get, like, subscribe to the Shooting Times. Uh, well, I say subscribe. The news agent used to keep a copy of the Shooting Times for him every week, or, or however often it came out. And he, yeah. he used to get me the Beano, and used to get me looking. And I was, I was reading something about looking a couple of years ago, and it was all coming back to me how, like, looking used to have, like, a cannon and ball comic strip. Didn't they? And they had, um, I I think they had Dempsey and Makepeace as well. And they, I remember they had the they had the Brian Robson story. Uh, They're the footballer Brian Robson. And um, (laughs) and I I can really vividly remember like the first couple of boxes, and it was like a drawing of young Brian kicking a football against the wall in some working class town in Englandshire, (laughs) something like that. Really bizarre, cannon and ball cartoon strip. I mean, the, uh, you never get that. The only reason I knew that Brian Robson was a footballer was because I remember when I was about, I must have been about four. It was the first time I ever went abroad. And we watched Scotland play in England. And we were in Spain and we found this bar, this Scottish bar called the Tartan Tammy. And we went, I know, <laughs> right? We went to watch uh, the football and they, they had a little function room and the guy that owned the bar had brought his television in and set it up and we're all sitting there watching it was Scotland and England and Brian Robson scored in the first maybe three or four minutes and this Scottish guy in the bar went Robson you cunt <laughs> of course I was only four years old I had no idea what a cunt was I'd you know I'd heard a few uh, swear words, obviously, because you do, um, but I'd never heard that one before. Um, 
And it's going on to be my favourite swear word. <laughs> there you go. It left a lasting impression on you. What an education yeah. that was. Oh, uh, you don't get comic strips like that. I mean, it's funny. I was thinking about the Beano the other day. Did I ever tell you I was in the Beano once? My name was no. printed in the Beano. Yeah, I wrote into Roger the Dodger. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, I, I, we used to have, I, I was a big Beano fan. And we used to have in the like the break room at school, wasn't that break room? It was just There was loads of like old copies of the Beano and stuff. And I remember going through them and, and finding these really old Roger the Dodgers and stuff. And I ended up copying one of them and writing an end to the Beano to Roger the Dodger and it got printed right. and I remember two of my friends come running into school the next day Nikki you're in the Beano and I was like what because I, I hadn't bought the latest yeah. issue yet so I went straight to the news agents after school and I bought it and I was like oh my god so excited I got a Walkman from it they sent me a That's Walkman awesome. as a prize for being in Roger the Dodger yeah so I my uh, problem was that I needed to dodge that my mum kept drawing glasses on Roger the Dodger in right. the Beano. I mean, she didn't. No. But hey, it was something. So I think his dodge was he started wearing glasses in every frame right. of the, the rest of the cartoon right. to try and say, hey, Mrs. Kemp, you can't put glasses on me now. So yeah, that was my, right. my proud moment as a, I don't know, I must have been, what, eight, nine, I think? That's yeah, right. it was in the Beano. Isabel the Minx defacing yeah. your Beano's. <laughs> Aye, I know. I'd, it led me to think, actually, I'd need to ask, because our, our mutual friend, his um, his son's a big Beano fan, I meant to ask him the other day, like in terms of, you used to have Dennis the Menace facing off against Walter yeah. the Softie. I guess you can't have that now. I don't know. You you wouldn't have him bullying Walter the Softie. That's not allowed. I so I wonder who he comes up against now. And I guess, did Dennis the Menace have a police foe? Or, I'm, I'm thinking of Ura Willie with PC Murdoch. There was a, yeah, I can't remember the name. It was like his his nemesises were Walter the Softy and his little gang, um, his dad and his granny. And I remember his granny had a slipper made out of elephant hide called the Demon Whacker, didn't she? That's <laughs> right, yeah. And of course, his dad wouldn't be able to hit him with a slipper now no. either. So <laughs> the fuck, what the fuck does Dennis the Menace do? Does he cyber bully and Walter the Softy? <laughs> the Snapchat account. <laughs> Send, sending dick pics <laughs> to... People <laughs> sending dick pics to many of the minks. <laughs> Do you remember yeah. them? I need to. I need to look I remember into that. There was one. Yeah, that's it. In the um, in the dandy, there was a strip called the Jocks and the Geordies. Do you remember? Yeah. And it was basically yes. just yeah. a gang of Scottish guys fighting with a gang of, I guess, northeast of England yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like a different gang would win every episode, but the jocks all had like massive bonnets, didn't they? Did Viz not rip that off as well and do something a bit more extreme? Uh, probably. In that, yeah, maybe. Probably. I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, see what rings a bell, but yeah, the jocks and the Geordies, God, yeah. You know something? I, I might, I use a, a website to peruse and download magazines occasionally, to, you know, um, and they often have the Beano. I might download an issue and see how. Um, PC it's gotten nowadays and see what's yeah, happening. Yeah, you can buy the Beano here in, in the supermarket. It's up, up the road for me in Spinney's you can get the Beano. Um. I mean, I say I will. I probably <laughs> won't. I'll never remember that. <laughs> anyway, that was a lovely trip <sighs> down memory lane. Well, we've just been down memory lane. Why don't we have a look at what's been going on in Scotland in the last week? Are you ready for the news, Cue the Greg? jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here 
is what's been going on in the news. Okay, so uh, yesterday, and to let a little light upon magic, we are recording this a couple of weeks in advance, uh, we lost meatloaf yesterday, unfortunately, Greg. And I read a little quick article about uh, the Scottish Tribute Act for meatloaf, and he was very sad about his passing. What do you think his name is, Greg? If you were a Scottish meatloaf tribute act, what would you a call it? stage name? Is yeah. it Mick Meatloaf? No, it's Pete Loaf. That's shite. I mean, Mick Meatloaf is much better. Yeah, isn't it? his name... Pete Loaf. Yeah, his name's Pete. <laughs> So he's called himself Pete Loaf. I think it's, that's fair enough, I think. Anyway, uh, enough about that. Uh, so what have you seen this week, Greg, that has caught your eye in Scotland? Well, the first one I've got um, is from the Scottish Sun on the 10th of January. So it's a couple of weeks old. Uh, although it was it was updated on the 12th of January. So clearly there's been developments. <laughs> it's uh, And it's an exclusive to the Scottish Sun. It says, uh, Shaggy Dog Story. Cheating couple caught having sex in public forced to pay shocked Scots dog walker compensation. They fucking love a good head. They love a headline <laughs> in the Scottish on Shaggy Dog Story. I bet they were high-fiving all over the office when they come up with that. It goes on, a shocked dog walker stumbled across a cheating couple having sex on a pile of logs at a beauty spot. Scalfs. Fancy that. Right, I'm going to fucking fall over myself here a couple of times. Milan Spodniak. I think I'm saying it right. Uh, 41 years old, and uh, Ewelina Stroichk, we'll say that, uh, 37, were caught in the act as they romped next to a public footpath. The disgusted pet owner called in cops, and Spodniak, who lives with his long-term partner and the girl, (laughs) were traced and charged. Dad of three, Spodniak, his Portuguese partner, and the girl all used to work together at a fish processing plant in Duns, Berwickshire. Last <laughs> night, a worker there said, this has caused a lot of grief, and they tried to keep it hush-hush. <laughs> uh, Milan and, and Willina decided to make up, uh, to meet up at a remote spot, and they obviously got carried away. They should have been more discreet. Uh, Jebra Sheriff Court heard that Spodniak from Slovakia and Polish-born, uh, I was going to call her Lewina, instead of trying to say her second name, drove seven miles from their pads in Duns to Greenlaw Dean Farm, a popular hiking spot. Uh, prosecutor Joanna Waller said, The witness was walking his dog and saw the accused having sexual intercourse against a log pile. He changed his direction to avoid walking past. The couple briefly stopped what they were doing, but as the witness walked away, they just continued to have sex. On returning (laughs) home, the witness contacted the police. Uh, Spodniak and Lewina admitted indecent behaviour. This is back in September 2020. Sheriff Peter Patterson fined the pair £200 each, but they also had to pay the dog walker £50 uh, each as compo for being confronted with their 6pm bonk. Spodniak, who now works at a sawmill, still lives with his partner. So he's uh, she's obviously not chucked him out. I mean, I mean come on. I mean, how they how they carried away would you have to get to <clears throat> shagging a pile of logs <laughs> on a public footpath? Well, however, they are having an affair, so and if they work in a fish factory, then they can't maybe don't have the disposable income to to go and pay for a hotel or something. So and they maybe can't go back to each other's apartment. So let's have it all fresco in the great outdoors. You've taken that as how desperate have you got to be shag on a pile of logs i've taken that as what a fucking wanker that dog walker (laughs) is if you see a couple shagging in the woods the first thing you do is you take your phone out and take a film 
or a camera and you send it to your mates. You don't go home and phone the cops, do you? Like, that's ridiculous. Oh, just, uh, hello, police. Yes, I'd like to report a crime. Okay, is that a murder, a rape, a uh, nonce at a school playground? No, I've just seen a couple shagging in the woods. <laughs> he's he's landed them in it. Yeah. They've been caught out of having their illicit affair, which is, is you know, he's commended for that because obviously we don't condone anyone having extramarital affairs or anything. But... It, oh, come on, mate. Let them have a little yeah. woodland bonk. You know, they were maybe just pretending they were Ewoks or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right. Just imagine the fucking Daily Mail reader out with his probably his pedigree dog that only drinks goat's milk and fucking, you know what I mean? You know, and out there with his, with his uh, wax mm. jacket on and his all that and confronted <laughs> by a little bit of filth. I <laughs> just like how, how they stop. See that he's turned round and just get back on with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, when we were lads, you'd be lucky if you found a scud mag yeah. in the woods. Whereas now, kids are getting a live action show. It's it's the progression of time, mm. Greg. You know, we're living in the future. Kids are now getting live action shows in the woods. Uh, obviously, I, just a little disclaimer, I'm not <laughs> saying that that's great to, for kids to actually see people shagging in the woods. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, obviously, it's wrong they're having an affair. I, oh, come on. Like, I, they had to pay him money. He got to see a live sex act for free, and then they've got to pay him for it. That's a bit out of order, surely. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, can you, I mean seeing people having sex, even if you're not, like, a fan of, like, pornography, for example, let's be honest, it is not the worst thing that you could stumble across in the British countryside. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You can stumble on a lot worse. Satanic cults, a dead body. <laughs> you know what I mean? Plenty of worse things to come across that you could but that you could bump into in the countryside in the UK. I mean, they had the, the politeness to go out into the woods <laughs> rather than do it at a housing <laughs> estate or in the middle of a roundabout or anywhere else they they've gone there for some private time thinking we're in the woods no one's gonna find us here this fucking as you say daily mail reading <laughs> wax jacket wearing tartan bonnet wearing busybody has been out walking his cocker spaniel and he's been oh hubert look at what that couple are doing attack <laughs> yeah. and don't yeah. look hubert don't look turn away <laughs> We we can't have your high-class pedigree sperm being corrupted by trauma. (laughs) Hubert's having the time of his life. He's wanting to go up and lick the boy's arse and, you know, see what's going on. He's like, oh, is that uh, fresh tuna that I can smell? Uh, Because they work in a fish factory, not not because, yeah, of anything else. Not because... Um, I I don't know. Not because of poor feminine hygiene or anything like that. I'm sure Evelina keeps everything spick and span down there. Would this have made the paper if they hadn't been caught cheating? (laughs) If if it had been just a couple having sex... A married couple having sex in the woods. If if they had been gentry. Yeah. You know, if if they'd been um, uh, Hubert's dog breeders (laughs) having sex in the woods, would this Daily Mail reading... wax jacket wearing busybody you've been so eat but oh sorry yeah, don't on. mind me it'd be like a it'd be like a, a, a jilly cooper novel or something like that you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i wonder as well like i wonder if this doesn't really say what day of the week it happened on i wonder if they've gone straight there from work because to your point, you know, I mean, I, I worked one day in Abacus Fish Factory in Mintlow in Aberdeenshire. And my... Oh, I didn't know I this. Did one, did I did one yeah. day. 
because I was new, I was in the summer holidays when I was at college, I was at the end of the conveyor belt. So you can imagine the fish comes in at the top, it gets filleted, the heads and scales and bones and fins and everything came down to me. I had to push them up, I had to like put them onto another conveyor belt that put them through a grinder to make, I assume, cat food and stuff. I don't know what else, you know. And my mother, when I got home, she made me get undressed at the back door in the garden because of the aroma coming off me. And like you're wearing like overalls. Like I, had, I, had a, I had the white wellies on. I had the overalls and everything over my clothes. It's obviously quite cold in a fish factory. It's got to be kept quite cold. And my, my clothes, everything, even my underwear and my socks reeked of fish. And I just... And I could never go back. <laughs> I never did. So I wonder if they've gone straight from work. Because to your point, you could be attracting all kinds of wildlife. You know, they could have been interrupted by a lot worse than a stuck-up Daily Mail reading fucking tweeds-trousered wanker. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what you're saying is they got off quite lucky <laughs> in terms of their, their little afternoon romance. I'm just saying, a lot more could have gone wrong. You're running the risk of scalfs on the log yeah. pile, marauding wild cats... Um, all kinds of things. <laughs> well, they should count themselves very lucky that they got off with a, a light they, fine. I mean, to be fair, they wouldn't have had to pay a marauding wild cat a 50 quid <laughs> fine for having to witness their sexual exploits <laughs> against a pile of logs. Indeed. So, yeah, uh, that's my first story this week. What uh, What's yours? From one pie to another, Greg. I have an update on the Pie Awards. Mm. Uh, as our listeners will know, uh, a couple of episodes ago, we mentioned that one of our uh, bakers in Scotland was up for a few pies in the Pie Awards, the, the World Pie Awards. Uh, so I know a couple of our listeners, uh, Strong Henry in Canada. Hello. I know you'll be delighted about this because you messaged us and said that you wanted to make a macaroni pie after reading this. So I would I, I am delighted to announce that an Ayrshire baker, Brownings, the bakers, has been awarded the title of the world's best scotch pie. Uh, Brownings the Bakers, which has stores across the country, scooped the coveted world championship scotch pie gong. And I'm gonna we're gonna upload this photo to Instagram. Their pie award is just basically a massive <laughs> pie on a plinth. It's beautiful. It's fucking beautiful. Uh, so they won this award, beating 400 other pies to the prize. It's the second time in recent years they've won this award, uh, with a narrow second place last year halting the uh, family firm from another victory. Uh, the owner, John Gall, was absolutely delighted with the news, um, and he announced it this afternoon. Uh, well, this is a few days ago. John laughed. People must look at me and think I'm some athlete. John Gall, he's been a world champion twice. It's the athletic body of mine that makes me the world champion of pies. I, I think John's joking because he's not the most athletic gentleman, <laughs> let's just say. Um, he told Ayrshire Live, uh, but seriously, we're all chuffed. Uh, to be fair, we were very surprised at the win for the second time. Well, we were runners-up last year, and I told them, you know, we're not going to lose this way. But to come back and win it again, it's been fantastic. Staffed are all chuffed. I've not actually seen them um, because it's been a busy day, but I, I know that they're chuffed. Uh, I'll see them tomorrow morning and they'll all work incredibly hard. It's been absolutely excellent. So yeah, uh, congratulations to them. He did admit that he oversaw the pies in general anyway, but this year he actually got involved into making the right. pies because one of the main guys got COVID on that day. So he had to roll his sleeves up. 
Uh, fantastic. All you can say is that we started off the week with a win, and hopefully, uh, because he is the chairman of Darvel FC, who are playing our both in the Scottish Cup oh, this yeah. weekend. In fact, they're probably playing uh, yeah, shortly yeah. as we record this, Greg. Um, he says, "Yeah, hopefully we can. Uh, we start this week off with a win, and hopefully we can finish it with a win at our both and go on to win the treble." Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> so, um, uh, Browning's uh, they also bagged prizes in the following categories. Um, they won the diamond award for apple pie the silver award for their butter chicken pie in the hot savory category and they won the bronze award for their and this as a vegetarian this sounds fucking disgusting to me um their vegetarian cauliflower leek and truffle oil pie i i don't fancy trying that to be perfectly honest who the, f- who the fuck is going to a bakery in scotland and ordering a cauliflower leek and truffle oil pie yeah I don't, I don't imagine it goes very well with a cigarette. I, d- I don't know. No, I'd imagine not. No, I couldn't see us at three o'clock in the morning going, hi, uh, can you give us a cauliflower leaking truffle, please? Aye, cheers, man. Aye. That's my uh, brown sauce, please. Yeah. Aye. Aye. And I bought, I bought Lion and Brew as well. Aye, cheers, man. Thanks. Um, so, yes, uh, Alistair Smith, who is the chief executive of the Scottish Bakers who run the competition. That's a fucking great job. Um, uh said that uh, we have overcome everything COVID could throw at us this year to celebrate the best pies. And as always, the results do not disappoint. It is with great pleasure that we can announce that Browning's the Bakers have taken the prize and they can be rightly very proud of their achievements. We took delivery of over 400 entries this year, so to win is no small feat. And we know that every winning product was lovingly made from scratch from locally sourced ingredients, freshly made daily by skilled craftspeople. It just goes to show the skill, creativity and hard work of each and every entrant. So this is called the World Scotch Pie Awards, but it's obviously based in Scotland. (laughs) And I want to know, and I, I am putting out a challenge to you, Strong Henry. <laughs> Look into this awards, because you said you made a mean Scotch pie. Let's, I, I'm championing you for the 2023 World Championship Scotch Pie Awards. Let's get this going, Strong Henry. Let's get Strong Henry a World Championship win at the 2023 Scotch Pie Awards. <clears throat> I'm going to look into this, and the next episode will have an update. I I am looking into how you can enter this category and competition. Yep, Henry can take the trophy back to Canada. Because it's, it's World yeah. Pie. It says it's World Pie. I, it's like the World Series baseball. You know, it's only open to uh, American uh, baseball teams. So, well, uh, uh, Canadian as well, I guess. You've got mm. the Toronto Blue Jays. But yeah, this uh, World Championship Scotch Pie, if it's only... 400 entries, I can imagine COVID. It could be a d- bit difficult, you know send it a pie over and stuff but I, i'm looking into that i'm gonna yeah. make a note scotch pie awards him sure. well in fact i don't need to make a note when i, I edit remember. myself <laughs> remember i'll make a i'll make a mental note <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean i think we've spoken about pies enough on the podcast so i don't think uh-huh. we need to delve into too much but yeah congratulations to brownings um but yeah cauliflower leaking truffle oil fucking pie? rank oh, oh i don't know I think macaroni pie uh, the what you described uh you were shoving in the fish guts <laughs> Um, in a pie <laughs> rather than that yeah anyway I'm fucking starving now <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, so what else have you seen this week Greg I came across a story in the Courier which is the newspaper for sort of Perth uh, the kind of Perth and Kinross area in Scotland but because I don't subscribe and I don't want to subscribe to the Courier <laughs> 
Um, I wasn't able to read the story, but I thought, well, that's quite a good story. So I thought maybe I can find it in another paper where I don't have to subscribe. But what it led me to was the Friday Court Roundup back in the Courier. So basically, I've got an abbreviated version of the story that I was looking for, but I've also got another story that I think you'll think is quite funny, Nikki. So I'll tell you that one first. So the headline for this story, just a little short one, right? Just a few lines. The headline is Trumped Up Charge. And it continues, An Angus man was cleared of assaulting police officers by farting on them. (laughs) Colin Simpson, who's 55, and let's face it, should know better, from our broth, has been accused of attacking officers by passing wind and burping on them whilst laughing. (laughs) But he was cleared of a series of charges, including driving and sexual offences when the jury trial was ended after hearing from just one witness. So I imagine that the both prosecutor, well, the prosecutor and the judge are going to be quite annoyed (laughs) about that because clearly um, the one witness has put uh, Colin somewhere else at the time of the alleged farting, burping, driving and sexual offences. So knowing, having done jury service in Scotland, knowing how much organisation and process is involved with arranging a jury case, there's going to be some annoyed people there. But at least a jury only had to do one day. So I, I was expecting you were going to say the witness said, look, I, he was a judge at the Scottish <laughs> yeah. Pie Awards and I served him a cauliflower leek and truffle oil pie. So he cannot effectively be responsible for the actions <laughs> <Yeah>. of his <laughs> anus expelling that gas. Indeed. So he's, it's kind of unmitigated circumstances. It's, he was not in charge of that deadly weapon yeah. in full duress. So, yeah. so we don't know what the witness actually said. I, 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 it doesn't say, but whatever the witness said, Colin is off the hook and um, is free to live his life. Well, well done, Colin, Indeed. you lucky bastard. Um, so the next story, which is the story that I was looking for, The headline says absolute discharge and it says in a rare legal move, a Perth woman was found guilty of assault but not convicted. Uh, Rebecca Edgeley was granted an absolute discharge after a trial for assaulting her then partner Stephen Strang by throwing a pizza box at him. I mean, come on, who the fuck phones the police because they get a pizza box flung at them? The reason that she's been discharged is because the boyfriend, the picture of him here, he looks like a fucking right little cunt. Mr. Strang uh, admitted that he punched the accused in the face and locked her in a cupboard before calling the police as they fought. Um, But the sheriff, Gillian Wade, told her, we've seen the injuries you received and you clearly came out the worst from this fight. So Rebecca walks free. And then the last one, I'm not going to read the, the the article because it's about a Dundee moron singing sectarian songs. But with the recent departure of uh, Meatloaf yesterday, when I, the, when I read the headline, <laughs> it immediately I started singing it to the tune of one of Meatloaf's most famous songs. <laughs> So the headline is Sniffing Petrol, Gas and Glue, which immediately took me to Dead Ringer for Love. (laughs) (laughs) So rather than rock and roll and brew, I've got Sniffing Petrol, Gas and Glue, Petrol, Gas and Glue. (laughs) Now, it's funny you said that because as soon as you said that, my thought was uh, when rock and roll dreams come true, which is another Meatloaf song. it is indeed. So it actually works for two, yeah. Meatloaf's not sure about taking a chance on Cher because he prefers sniffing petrol, gas and glue. Petrol, gas and glue. (laughs) 
So that's that's my second and final story this week. Okay, well, I have another story about Argos <laughs> today, Greg. I, I, I'm doing a kind of... I'm, I'm going back. My first story was about Pi Awards. Now I'm going back to Argos. Uh, so this is in Argos which is still on the go. Um, no catalogue nowadays, though, but you can still go in-store and shop online, obviously. So I think Argos is quite the same. You um, you go in and you have to put uh, your name down in the collection thing, and they will call your name. So they'll say, collection for... Greg, collection for Nikki. Right. Yeah. And that's the, and you have to go up and say, yeah, I'm here for Nikki. So, um, a Scots auntie was left mortified after her cheeky nephew sneakily changed her Argos reference name to Dafty. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joanne had been out shopping for a new toaster in Brayhead when the 28 year old prankster decided to hijack her. Uh, she initially feared that the nickname would automatically appear on all of her future purchases with the retail giant. Uh, she wasted no time in telling staff at the store that she wasn't actually called Dafty <laughs> and that Ian had been responsible for the hilarious prank on Wednesday. So there's a video clip which went on, I think, TikTok or Instagram um, and Joanne is left fucking fuming <laughs> when she finds out what he's done. Uh, she looks at the screen and she said, uh, I've got to go and ask for a toaster for Dafty. <laughs> That's what they're going to call me in the future. Ian can be heard sniggering behind the camera whilst his mum, Shirley, was left in a fit of giggles after seeing the look on Joanne's face. And I'm going to take a, a screen grab of this and send this photo to you, Greg, because it's fucking a face. This is a, a furious Glasgow woman <laughs> okay. face. Like, she looks fucking raging. So Ian explained that I've always called her Dafty, which she doesn't particularly like because she's a little bit right. ditzy. Uh, she put in all her details into the system and I said, uh, oh, I know a way that will make it go through quicker. I distracted her and told her to go and look at what my mum was looking at. So she went around the corner to see. When she was away, I deleted her name and put Dafty instead. She initially thought that every time she ordered from Argos from now on, she would automatically come up as Dafty because I've done that with her Netflix account. <laughs> <laughs> she keeps trying to change it. But doesn't, she doesn't know how to. <laughs> Ian added that she went up to collect it and she said very quietly to the woman, I've got a reservation. And the woman said, uh, what's the name? She went, well, he's put down Dafty, <laughs> but it's not my actual name. <laughs> she's, she, uh, Since this went viral, she's had a, a lot of texts from people uh, from our work asking if she's going to be a Dafty again today. I say the, the clip's gone viral on Twitter and it's racked up 172,000 views. And uh, one viewer commented, I love how her pal is just buckled at her. I do this to my parents constantly every time they ask me to order something to the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, a, a second person added toaster for Dafty is a band name waiting to happen <laughs> <laughs> nice little light hearted story there uh, yeah toaster for Dafty that's, uh, that's brilliant I'd love to see that just the, the name booming out when you're inputting stuff um, I had that a lot when I was uh, when I lived in Dubai, I would always if you were phoning up for restaurant reservations or something and uh, I'd be two for two uh, uh, Nikki and they'd go Mark <laughs> Like, and I'd go, yeah, that's fine. So for years, when I lived in Dubai, I would just go, yeah, tail for two under the name of Mark. Because it was just easier yeah. than, no, Nikki, N-I-C. Yeah, that's fine. I'll go by that name now. But uh, yeah, to order Daft Day. That's brilliant. Um, 
I th- that's brilliant. <laughs> I'd love that, yeah. To hear that name booming out, Toaster for Dafty. And that's got everyone looking around, isn't it? It's a good put down Dafty because it's not like it's not like a harsh one. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I sometimes call my daughters Dafties if they do something silly. You know, if you drop something or 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 you know, just say something daft or whatever the way kids do. I, I, it's a it's one of my favourite ones, Dafty. So it is. Oh, yeah, but it's an affectionate kind of name. You need affectionate kind of nicknames. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dafty is fine. I mean, I call my dog Stinky, and if I say Stinky, he does respond <laughs> to it. Um, it's a shame because he doesn't smell at yeah. all. But call him Stinky. But yeah, he could have put a lot worse. To be fair, and yeah. yeah. I've occasionally on, so obviously I think we've mentioned it in the podcast before, you and I have a WhatsApp group with our mutual friend and, you know, like something that we've established over the last couple of weeks is our mutual friend is quite sensitive if you criticise something that he is really, really keen on. For example, Star Wars, the films of Christopher Nolan, etc. gets a bit upset. And so sometimes to sort of bring him down a bit or if it, or, you know or he, he gets a bit upset he's not very good at spelling so if and I quite in grammar and I quite like to I've not done it for a while but I quite like to make fun of like some of his spelling mistakes and things so occasionally I'll throw the word dafty in if I feel that he's getting a bit you know a wee bit annoyed by the tone of his messages because he hates it when you like criticise his grammar or his spelling or whatever or things mm. that he's really really keen on like this this book of Boba Fett I you know like I, I searched for somebody like for like uh, an opinion that didn't like the book of Boba Fett just to send it to him and we know that he really doesn't like The Last Jedi so I searched for like a video opinion from somebody who really liked The Last Jedi and thought it was good just to send to him, just to get a reaction out of him. I am. I'll be, I did not realise you yeah, did yeah. that. I because I obviously I read this group chat and I I saw those videos. And I was like, that's going to be. A, I didn't realise you had specifically searched. Yeah, for that. I did it on purpose. I'll, so sometimes I'll just look for stuff online just to wind them up. I'll be I'll be forty four on my next birthday. <laughs> I've got two children. I'm quite a demanding job. <laughs> But I can always find time. <laughs> can always find a wee bit of time. Never get sold. Never get sold. <laughs> can always find a wee bit of time <laughs> to wind up one of my oldest friends. To wind up one of my oldest, closest and best friends. I've always got a bit of time <laughs> on my hands. <laughs> to do a wee bit of, a wee bit of web surfing. So. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, okay, well, that rounds up the news for this week. Uh, before we go on to review, let's have a little word from our sponsor. Every year for the rest of your life, you could enjoy a fantastic free holiday for two. Collect 42 tokens in the Daily Record and Sunday Mail, and a free holiday a year for life with direct holidays could be yours. So make a note in your calendar. This is one date you won't want to miss. Okay, so it was your choice on the podcast this week, Greg. So why do you tell us what we're going to be talking about on this valley this week? Okay, so I have chosen another play for today, the old BBC anthology drama series. 
It's another one by Peter McDougall, uh, who two of two of his ones we've covered on the Swally before. We've done just a boys game with Frankie Miller, and we've done Down Among the Big Boys with uh, Billy Conley and Douglas Henshaw. So I've chosen uh, his first the 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 first uh, play he ever got on Play for Today. So his debut, uh, just another Saturday from it was originally aired on the thirteenth of March, nineteen seventy five. Uh, it tells the story of John, uh, who is a drum major in an orange pipe band on the day of the orange par- the orange parade in Glasgow. Uh, all the action takes place on this Saturday, uh, and by the end of it, we have uh, John questioning his beliefs and his lifestyle. Some of the things that he sees over the course of the day. Uh, it stars. John Mitchell, um, who we've had on the Swally, sorry, not John Mitchell, beg your pardon, John Morrison, who we've had on the Swally before in Sweet 16, uh, Irene McCallum, who might be the female James Cosmo, but we can talk about that later on, B- Bill Henderson, uh, Ken Hutchinson, uh, formerly Dancer from um, Just a Boys Game, and some appearances from Billy Conley, Jake Darcy, and a number of other people. It's directed by John McKenzie. Uh, celebrated the late John McKenzie, celebrated Scottish director uh, who also directed Just a Boys Game, um, The Long Good Friday, A Sense of Freedom, which we might do in a future episode, uh, Looking After Jojo, which we might do in another episode, and a whole host of other successful movies that aren't set in Scotland. <laughs> so when I chose this last week, you said that you couldn't remember, you might have seen this before, so obviously you've watched it for the pod. Had you, had you seen it before? Um, it's one of those things that kind of, it rings a mm-hmm. bell when you're watching it, you're thinking, have I seen this before? I, I don't think I have, but it does seem to ring a bell. It might have been on one night late on the BBC when I was sat at my computer playing Football Manager and just paying half attention. It maybe came on after sports scene or something um, it, because it does kind of ring a little bit of resemblance and I do recall a few scenes, but I might have seen it in some sort of clip show or something. But for the purposes, let's say it's probably the, it, it's the first time I've definitely sat down and watched mm-hmm. it fully and paid attention from, from start to finish. Um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this. It, I thought it was it was a bit slow to begin mm-hmm. with. Um, I mean, let's just say I wasn't a fan of the music. <laughs> However, <laughs> it was a bit slow yeah. to get started. I would say the first 40 minutes or so, it's a bit, takes a while to get going. But hey, the last 40 minutes are really had me fully engrossed. And yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching this in terms of the, the spoiler alert of speaking about it. But yeah, it, it was fantastic insight into that time. Yeah. It made me feel nostalgic. I, Christ, I wasn't even born when this was filmed or when it's set or when it came out, but it just made me feel nostalgic for old Scotland. And I wonder, is it because Scotland hasn't really changed that much from that time in a way? Obviously, being from Aberdeen, Orange marches aren't really a part, although I do believe they do happen in Aberdeen. But yeah, it's it's not a thing that ever was really in my life, and it, it was later in my life before I realised about them and understood, you know, what they're for and why people are so against them and why people are so for them. And I have no opinion either way. You know, do whatever you want to do. I know, and that's the thing. On this episode, we're going to be very careful in terms of what we talk about, and it, it, we're not going to try and offend anyone. We are going to be speaking about this show because. 
obviously I realised that this subject matter is quite a polarising thing. So if you are one way or the other, we apologise for whatever we're about to say if it offends you. Um, but yeah, it, genuinely, I, I thought this was brilliant. I mean, hey, it's a Peter McDougall mm-hmm. play for a day. The cast is absolutely astounding. And it's just a, it's a beautiful play mm-hmm. in terms of the way it's done like everything about it is so lovely the as i say the music okay i could do without but the the way it's directed is just incredible it's it's almost like a documentary yeah yeah but not if, if that makes sense the way it's done it's so well crafted the way that the band is shot when they're marching you know so like so before they set out the initial march then at glasgow green when they're all gathered there then there's the speeches and everything else and then the march back and even you know probably the the most powerful part of the of the play is when the band come into what the characters in the film call finale and then and it kind of erupts into a bit of violence. Um, you're right. I mean, even even that is sort of shot a bit like a documentary. Like that scene there, you know, mm. it's not... It's certainly that stylized violence and it's kind of, you know, you're you're sort of led... Like, Mackenzie does a good job of making you think that, that you see a bit of violence, like some stones being thrown. There's the scene when Ken Hutchinson, he punches the old man through the window and there's a scene when a bottle goes through a window while there's a little baby having a bath. But Mackenzie sort of... He sort of suggests that there's worse going on than what you're being shown, and I think that's where that's where that documentary uh, feel comes in. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about about how the how the play came to be and how Peter McDougall uh, came to write it. So McDougall, like a lot of people of his generation, uh, he worked in the shipyards, uh, like Billy Conley. Uh, I think uh, like loads mm. of other uh, people who went on to careers and he decided to try his luck as a house painter and he was painting uh, uh, quite a famous British actor called and screenwriter called uh, Colin Wellen who wrote the script for Chariots of Fire, uh, the sort of classic um, hmm. British movie about the one minute while uh, the one minute mile. Um, and Colin Welland in, in, encouraged uh, McDougall to try and write a television play. McDougall had been a drum major in an orange band. So he knows that, he knew that world very well. He submitted it to the BBC and the BBC initially turned it down um, because of the subject matter. You know, this is the early 1970s on British television. But they did see the value in the play. They were just nervous about putting such a sensitive subject on the screen. So, but they encouraged him to another go, and he wrote another play called Just Your Luck, which we might, maybe we'll do it. It's a bit slow. It feels very much like a play on the stage, Just Your Luck, but it's about a Protestant girl um, falling pregnant to a Catholic boy and them having to get married and how the families interact with each other and stuff, which which the BBC filmed, went down well. Ivy McCallum's in it. <laughs> Funnily enough, and the lady who played Effie in Take the High Road is also in it. I can't remember her name. And um, I think it, it did well, so the BBC finally filmed just on a Saturday. It, it went on to win the Prix Italia, uh, which for uh, people who do mm. on to win that. Yeah, like you, you, you've said already, I mean, I obviously come from Glasgow. You know, you, you, you mentioned there that it sort of shows an old Glasgow and it's an old Scotland. The Orange Band is still very important to a lot of people in Glasgow. Even in 2022, the the Orange Band still marches. There's obviously been in the last year or so, 18 months. There's been some quite negative press about 
Catholic priests being spat on by marchers and stuff like that. So, you know, like this is this was broadcast in March 1975. So what's that? That's four well, let's let's say almost fifty years ago. You know, it's not really, it's not moved on all that much, really, you know, compared to what we're showing in the film. So what are your memories of Orange Marches, Greg? Like kind of having not so much been there, because I know your history yeah, yeah. you're kind of in Glasgow in and then, you know, not and then back, but as someone who's never, I've never seen an orange march in live action, if that yeah. makes sense. Have you yeah. seen one? Um, yeah, they, when I was a little boy, I mean, my my uncles, my, uh, my well, my uncle, my oldest uncle, my uncle John, my mum's oldest brother, was a member of the Orange Lodge when he lived in Glasgow. I can remember uh, when I was a little boy, my granny taking me to see the march, and it being quite exciting, you know, because sort of bright colours, the music and everything. And, you know, when you're little, you don't yeah. really... It's just, when you're that age, it's just some guys and some women playing the drums and the flutes and, you know, playing catchy tunes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm like you. I mean, I, I, I don't... I'm not a fan of the music. But i got to be honest, I watched this a couple of times for the podcast and then walking about in the kitchen and, you know, I can hear myself sort of whistling, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the sash and all that. I'm like, holy shit. Because, you know, whilst whilst I don't agree with the sentiments of any of that music, it's fucking catchy as fuck. It's simple, catchy melodies. So, no, I can remember being taken to, to see the marches when I was a little boy. You know, like, like, like you mentioned, like, we moved away from Glasgow when I was, like, eight. And even though I was going back to see my dad and my family, like, sort of once a month, my, my dad's never been interested in it at all. You know, like, uh, my, my dad's a Protestant as well, but he didn't grow up in Glasgow. He grew up outside of Glasgow. So it wasn't a big part. His dad came from Stirling. So it wasn't like a big part of his life. I think I think for my mother, growing up uh, in North Glasgow, for her, I mean, she claims to have... Uh, <laughs> she she claims to have marched, to, to have been a mem- member of the Orange Band and stuff when she was a teenager. She claims a lot of things. But, uh, yeah... It's not. It's never been a big part of my life at all. Um, although I do have, I have got, I've, I've, I know people who it's quite important to. Even still, they're not bad people. They can be a bit. You stay out their way on in July. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're fine the rest of the year. <laughs> but I should say that Nikki and I have got like no opinion on this either way. Like we're neither. We don't fall on either side of the divide as adults. So it's a very objective conversation that we're going to have about the film. You can be sure of that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, purely. I mean, I'm I'm from Aberdeen, and we genuinely. I can see both sides of the divide, but I don't have any opinion mm. on either. I, I genuinely, it does cross my mind sometimes, thinking like it must be nice to have a belief in something like that and have a a kind of thought because I I genuinely have nothing. Like I'm not yeah. saying I'm agnostic or I'm an atheist or you know I I I don't know I. I I don't believe in anything. So it's but to have that, I can't I can't understand it, but I can understand if that makes sense. Like it for me it, I can't get on board, but I, I can understand why people do believe in that. And I can believe why they feel so passionately about it, but I can't understand why it would lead to violence, if that makes sense. I I understand it, I guess. I understand the, the origins of it, because obviously Glasgow is a big industrial um, town, city, but also the, the west of Scotland certainly used to be a very industrial place, and a lot of people from Ireland moved to, the, to Scotland for work, and... 
you know, it's sort of working class upbringing. People fought, people stay with their own people, you know, so Protestants staying in their own groups, uh, Catholics staying in their own groups, even though they would sort of work together, like most likely they'd be working together. And they even, it says it in the, you know, like when uh, John's talking to his dad, um, and he says, you know, you work alongside these, the, alongside Catholics at the work. And they, his, when, when John meets Billy Conley and Jake Darcy and the other guy in the pub later on, it's established that they are, that they're Catholics. But John, even though he's just, he spent the day marching in a, in an orange band, these yeah. are his workmates and his friends. And he has, he has a, well, up until, it, you know, the kind of wheels fall off. He's having a good night out with his mates, having a few drinks or telling jokes, having a laugh. And they're just, they're fundamentally the same types of guys. Working class, manual labourers, working down at the yards. They, they, you know, there's nothing to separate them other than the fact that those three are Catholics and John's a Protestant, you know? But that's why John's such a, a likeable character yeah. because he's not... A lot of the people that he, he meets on the march are very bigoted and are, are very opinionated of yeah. their op- opinions against the the Catholic John never says anything, and you know, and then you I say it's kind of almost the big reveal when you find out that three of his best mates are yeah. Catholics, and and of course it comes to the crisis of confidence um, later on, which I'm sure we'll come to. But that's why John is such a a likable character mm-hmm. because he's not into kind of the whole thing. And to talk about the actual play, so it's his first march. He's obviously been in the the pipe band and he's excited because it's his first big march and he can't sleep and he he kind of keeps waking up and then he gets up and gets ready and off he goes wearing his dad's coat and he's on the bus and comes to the the lodge to meet all his mates and everyone's excited about this march and I guess it is a big occasion and a big moment in in terms of the year this is kind of their World Cup final or this is their Wimbledon you know it's it's this is their day they get to go and march and play their flutes and do their bang their drums and wave their flags at John Knox and just enjoy themselves and and shove it in Catholics faces and just be themselves I guess it's like gay pride for prodies (laughs) isn't it Uh, yeah I mean I think the you know there's there's clearly an element in the in the lodge that are sensible you know there's like look it's a march we'll be marching you know don't don't let the guys get drunk don't they no dancing x y and z yeah. And then there's like the other side, you know, so Ken Hutchinson plays Rab Williamson and it's, you know, he's, he's like looking for baller, you know, he's like, come on, show these yeah. guys, show them what, show them what, what it's all about, John and blah, blah, blah. And, um, make sure you throw that as high as you can and everything else. And, and then of course he sort of, inst- he instigates, yeah. he sort of instigates the violence in the, in the kind of Catholic neighbourhood in the middle of the film. Well, because they're all getting pissed before they go on their yeah. march. And that's the the instance that it's almost a disbelief that John hasn't had yeah. anything. And as he says to him, like, you need Jake. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great, son. Like, almost disbelief. Yeah. That, like, you're not pissed that before we go on this. Like, we're going to have a fucking randan yeah. here. And... As you say, you can tell he's he's looking for trouble because he's so later on, like as soon as we leave this main bit, we're gonna go off here and you fucking go loudy. Listen, you've done great, sir. But let's see that stick really going up in the air. We're coming to the alley. Okay, Donald, you got you got, Billy boys. Billy boys, on you go.
yeah, he's looking for trouble. But John's, he hasn't had anything to drink before they go on the first march and he just wants to do his best. Yeah, I mean, like for John, he's, um, it's not necessarily the sectarian side of the marching, it feels like for John. It's the, it's the ceremony, it's getting the good gear on, it's, you know, I, I don't want to put, put my yeah. trousers on too early in case I blunt those creases, you know, and, uh, exactly. and all that, yeah. you know. He's, he's proud. Yeah. Yeah, but he's, and he's, he's almost a bit sort of naive about the the sort of the underlying kind of nastiness that we see that will the little flashes of throughout the day obviously culminating in the kind of fight in the in the alley. You know, like when he meets the guy on the bus that knows his dad and they're giving the clippy, you know, he's hmm. giving the clippy a hard time, you know. And when he leaves the house, he's all kind of bravado. Well, I'll let them look at my uniform then and all that. And then as soon as he's walking down the street and he can see people looking out the window, he's suddenly very self-conscious and puts his dad's big jacket on to hide his uniform. But that's, as you say, you know that he's a good guy because he puts the jacket on. When he's on the bus speaking to the JK and the JK is getting thrown off, given the little clippy abuse for being a Catholic and she throws him off for not having the extra money and John offers the guy he's like I can give you 5p for the next stop and he's like oh no it's okay I'm getting off here anyway and that just shows what a a nice guy Mm. that John actually is and then when they're kind of they have the first march and then they go to the park and then they go to the bar him and his mate and they see the guys nicking when they bump into Eric from Stall Game (laughs) and they are this guy's nicking half bottles from behind yeah. the bar. You know, John's quite offended and upset by that, and saying, "Oh, this is you know, that's not right. You know, they're going to get caught. Get get out of here before the police come." John's a good guy at heart. He really is, and that's why I think it's a a beautiful thing in terms of the the way constructed. He is a he's a a lovely guy. Yeah. Um, you know, they can the relationship that he has with his dad. Well, actually, before that, the relationship that he has with his mother. So he's obviously the oldest of. I counted four. There could be more there, right? I counted four. The sister, mm-hmm. and like the two kids that he shares the room with. Mm-hmm. You know, they like, you don't even hear their names. The only time that they're really acknowledged is when John gets up out of bed at the beginning. And he's like sort of wrestling with them before he goes and gets dressed. And then when he's leaving the house and he shouts, Cheerio Wayne's and like like the like Lizzie, played by Eileen McCallum, his mum, she kinda of puts him on a total pedestal. You know what I mean? It's like she she's hmm. the one he's concerned about. The 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 dad, Dan, played by Bill Henderson, you know, he's we we learn later on that he'd been away at sea for like fourteen years come back, works during the week, gets lashed at the weekend, gives her their wages. It's a it seems like it's quite a loveless sort of marriage. And they mm. all you know, all her all the sort of like affection that you would expect her to have for her husband is just all channeled onto John. You know what I mean? They so later like towards the end of the play when John's like Oh, I need to get away from here, you know, when things haven't, you know, he sort of had his eyes opened by the events of the day and she's immediately, you know, he, he can't leave, you know, you can't leave, there's nobody like your own people and at least you believe in something, son, and all that kind of thing and doing everything to make sure that he's always there. But yet, despite the fact that Dan has apparently been absent for a big part of John's life, He's got a really good relationship with his dad. You know what I mean? They go to the pub, yeah. take his dad's like, oh, they don't worry, I'll, you know, I'll meet you down the stairs. So I'll, I'll bring your clothes down later on and we'll go for a drink and everything, you know? Oh, no, I think they've got a, a lovely relationship. 
And I think that's the, it's not until later the it actually gets mm. going. So first part is very much the build up and everything that's coming. And watching it, I did think like, Jesus, a bit slow. And then, but looking back on it now, I can, I can see where they were going with it. Because the way it builds up and then it, it leads to kind of you know, a big kind of climax. I mean, this only really starts going when they get to Fijian Alley, really. It goes up a gear, for sure, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's good moments earlier on, you know, like the, when they're at Glasgow Green and the old guy looking for his te- he's looking for his teeth that have fallen out, <laughs> you know, when um, John and Jim decide to go and try and find a pub to go for a pint and that's where they bump into Eric, isn't it, from Still Game and the yeah. uh, some of the other, some guys from one of the other lodges are stealing half bottles off the back of the bar. There's only one bartender and like a typical sort of Glasgow, right? There's not, I think the guy's on by himself. It's like, there should be more bartenders on, you know, like zero sympathy for the overworked bartender. Like, absolutely none at all. Um, I mean, maybe it might just be a Scottish thing. It might not even be a Glasgow thing. <laughs> I don't um, know, but you would expect like one of the, I think one of the characters even references it. Like, you know, it's probably one of the busiest days of the year. Yeah. And he's got man in the bar himself. Like, why don't you hire someone? He'd have saved a lot more money than losing all those half bottles. You see the police car tearing down the road after uh, John and Jim <laughs> have, uh, have left. So there's some good moments. And I think, I mean, that you know, a play for today, we've spoken about it before, but like, I think one of the objectives of that whole series was to kind of show real life or like slices of real life in the UK, you know. So I think, you know, I think it was important to, and this is pure conjecture on my part, but I think it was important to Peter McDougall and to John McKenzie to sort of show that this very, something that's really quite particular to, to Glasgow. And, they, you know, for anybody, you, you mentioned it earlier on, I mean, it's difficult to sort of understand, really, unless you've, you've kind of grown up close to it or involved in it. It's it's bizarre that, mm. uh, you know, it really is. It's, I, I still think it's, it's really bizarre. So, like, so showing that on television, I think, was quite important to them. I think possibly more important than the second sort of half of the film, which ironically, to your point, is a lot more engaging. You know, after, you know so we, like, yeah. as soon as John changes out, out of his uniform back at the lodge and hits the pub with his dad, it's like a, it's you know, it just... It, it's like, it's like a different film almost. I mean, the 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 banter yeah. in the in both pubs, the, the banter like in the pub with Joe and Dan and John, with the deaf guy that comes in <laughs> when the when the old when the old guy's singing the song and the deaf guy comes in and he's lip reading, and he thinks that he's winding uh, him up. Yeah, big Huey the dummy. <laughs> yeah. And then like the, yeah. the 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 banter in the second pub when uh, John goes and meets Billy Conley, uh, plays Paddy and his mates. You know, it's 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 brilliant. And to, you know, you 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 could have a whole movie, like a whole like hour and twenty minutes, just with all that going on, and it would be you know be absolutely fantastic. Oh no, yeah, I think the that banter that they have in the pubs is brilliant. I, I could have watched that for a very long time. And the the interaction they have is fantastic. And that's the thing with this. There's a lot of joke telling mm-hmm. and a lot of kind of obvious jokes. And some of them are quite funny. Some of them aren't so funny. I, I did wonder why that was put in because it does seem quite obviously shoehorned in 
And I wondered, was that because of Billy Conley? Because he has a couple in particular that he puts yeah. in. But there are a few earlier on. I know Joe in the pub tells a few and John tells a few and his friends tell a few. But was that shoehorned in so that it didn't look so obvious that Billy Conley was telling jokes? Or was that... Hey, we Glasgow woman. Up in the high court for murder. Big barrister says. And tell me, Mrs. McGlumfa. Why did you shoot your husband with a bow and arrow? She says, oh, I didn't want to wait in the wings. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think that, because if you, if you look at, if they can both of the pub scenes, there are next to no women in any of the pub scenes, right? It's all, it's mostly guys. Yeah. I, think, I think there's a, there's a couple of women in the first, like, in the first pub, because one of them, because, like, John tells one of them that he's, uh, he sent his dad home, you know? But in the second scene, like, in the scene with Billy Conley and his mates in the pub, there are no women. And I think... And Billy Conley talks about that sort of pub environment a lot in his stand-up. And I think that's just kind of what it was like. Like, kind of working men, having a crack, telling each other jokes. I mean, when I used to work in the Country Park Inn in Mintlaw, you would get a lot of guys would come in after work. And, it would, you know, some guys would sit quietly, have a pint or two, not really talk to anybody. Other guys would sort of hold court in the way that Billy Conley and his mates do and talk and tell jokes and take the piss out of each other and all that kind of thing. And I think they were just trying to get that sort of, try to convey that sort of um, environment. Because, like, you know, like for some people, like my, my, my granny never set foot in a pub. Her whole life. Never once in her life set foot in a pub. So for someone like her, I can imagine that, yeah, she, she probably wouldn't want to know, to be honest, what went on in there. But to her, it's like, you know, it'd be like a bit of a peek behind the curtain at this quite male dominated environment. You know, this is, this is where these guys go. This is what they've been doing before they come back looking for something to eat and fall asleep in a chair or get brought home by the police or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Um, I, th- I think they'll just try to convey that sort of kind of working class, working hard working men decompressing after working all week in the shipyards or the factories or whatever. You know, I don't know. It was before I was born as well. So <laughs> to your point, I mean, although although some of the jokes are um, aren't great, there are some brilliant lines. Um, I think uh, one of my favourite ones is from Dan, John's dad, when early on when they're talking about the Queen. And Dan says, he says, God bless her and send her wee dogs plenty of grass to run on. <laughs> really tickled me for some reason. Hey, here he is, Lizzie. Defender of the faith, keeper of liberty and freedom, stalwart orangeman and stick swinger extraordinary. Oh, the Queen's religion's safe. God bless her and send her wee dogs plenty of grass to run on. Oh, you look awful, my son. Never mind him, he's just a big waster. At least you believe in something. Oh, he's good for the drink. Terribly harsh words, Lizzie, considering I haven't given you your wages. And then one of the women shouts across the road at John, sing us a song that you sang at your ma's wedding, you orange bastards. Right. <laughs> the, the orange bastard bit is regrettable, and obviously that's not funny, um, but the, the lead-up to that I thought was very funny. The, the, the other thing that's that I find quite funny about this, I mean, obviously it's gone out in the BBC, so the language, in terms of your sort of, you know, like your kind of main swear words, there's obviously, there's no, there's mm. no F words. 
There's no C no, words. There's not um, a lot. No. There's like obviously bastard. I think they use the word shite once or twice. But there's a lot of like sectarian uh, abusive yeah. words. Like the like the word pape for Catholics, uh, Fenians, obviously orange bastards, as we mentioned already, prodies and everything. It's funny that the BBC have decided, well, it's okay for the characters to use that terminology but they i think they, there's, a, there's there's a few swearing substitutes like uh, get yourself blocked for example it doesn't take a great imagination to to know what what that stand what what that stands in for well that's know? um something i i thought about i mean could you get away with something like this nowadays in terms of the the language used not in terms of swearing because nowadays they would use the f bomb mm-hmm. But would they be more kind of wary of using terms like Fenian or any other derogatory terms for, you know, Catholics or Protestants nowadays? Um, I don't know. I mean, Kenneth Branagh has got a movie out. I was watching the trailer for it today called Belfast, and it's set in Belfast, funnily enough, in the late 60s at the sort of height of the Troubles. So, I mean, I imagine that, I mean, in the trailer, there's some scenes of rioting and things like that. So there's obviously a bit of violence in it. So I, I would imagine that some of that terminology would probably come up in in the film, in that film, you know. But to have it on the television, you know, you would have to... I don't know, I think you could probably do it. But I think, you know, I mean, what sort of story could you tell about about these sort of circumstances in kind of modern mm. Glasgow? Because it's not... I mean, it's a lot... It certainly seems a lot smaller than it is shown to be in the film. I mean, I can remember when I moved back to Glasgow from England in 2013 and I was staying in a serviced apartment in George Square because we still had our tenants in the house. We had to give them sort of two months or something to get organised and move out so we could move back in. And like the first Saturday morning, I woke up to the sound of an orange band playing in George Square. And I was really quite surprised by it because like I, when I lived in Glasgow, I lived in Steps in the north of Glasgow and like, you don't see orange bands or anything out that way, you know? So I don't think it's quite as important to as many people as it obviously was at the time that this is that the film is set. But obviously there are still enthusiasts <laughs> you know <laughs> they still exist for so sure. we cannot talk about this and not talk for quite a bit about billy conley and i yeah. know we touched upon him earlier but he has a, a very fleeting role in this play but a very impactful role mm. as well and it this is one of or if not his first kind of role it might be of... it may be his first acting role he was obviously like, well known when this came out for sure. I mean, he'd been working. Um, yeah. Obviously, he'd been performing with uh, Tam Harvey and Jerry Rafferty as the Humble Bums, and uh, performing on his own a bit later on. So yeah, so this came out in 1975. N- 1975 is the same year that he was on Parkinson and told the joke about okay. the the bum and the bike rack and stuff, and sort of overnight became um, an absolute superstar. But I think for sure this would have been his first acting role i mean and he's really just i think he's just playing himself really you know what i mean i don't think there's not much of a stretch for him i think that was probably it was obviously a world that he knew incredibly well from uh you know from be working in the shipyards and everything and you know i don't think it, i don't think it was really stretching his acting capabilities just 
telling jokes in the pub. Yeah, but he's very <laughs> believable as well. Oh, yeah, and for he sure. is very convincing. And, and and you wouldn't think that, oh, that's some stand-up guy from the Glasgow comedy clubs just doing a turn. Yeah. He, he genuinely looks the part in this. Yeah, and he's, he's a good character because he sticks up for John. You know what I mean? They, he's right in with the head outside as well when uh, yeah, it's the first yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, I mean, I actually, I think I obviously I mentioned to you before uh, since Christmas, like somebody, so there's two biographies of Billy Connolly. There's one that his wife wrote back in, I think, 2001, 2002. Pamela Stevenson wrote about his life and he's just written because he can't do uh, stand-up and stuff anymore because of his uh, Parkinson's condition, he's he's been writing and he's written his own autobiography. And I was a bit disappointed that he doesn't talk about any of the plays for today that he did. So he's he's obviously... Oh, really? Yeah, he didn't talk about it at all. He's obviously... He did this one. A year after, he does another Peter McDougall one called Elephant's Graveyard, again with John Mitchell. It's just a... Uh, sorry, John Morrison. Why do you call him fucking John Mitchell? It's just a, it's a, it's a two-hander. It's just so it's just him and John Morrison. So he's like joint lead. Um, it's about two guys that have lost their jobs and go and hide in the woods all day because they can't face telling their wives that they've lost their jobs. And he, do, yeah, he just he doesn't, he doesn't mention it at all. They, like, you know, um, I mean, it, his autobiography. It's not, you know, I don't. It's pretty. It's pretty vanilla. He doesn't go into a great deal of detail about his personal life that much really and stuff you know it's uh i think i think the the one his wife wrote is a better more comprehensive biography than the one he's written himself <laughs> so my book review this week but yeah you know i mean i, I think like i mentioned before having a uh, shown the fact that these guys are all fundamentally the same have a lot in common despite the religion everything's important and i like the fact that the the, the, the guy that wants to say it about john is also a catholic uh, like billy Connolly's character and stuff and they're sticking up for him so you know he's with us he had nothing to do with what happened to your brother blah 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 and uh, they saved john from a like severe <laughs> severe doing you know um so i went on to um, online and read a few reviews about Just Another Saturday. So this is from Amazon and it says um, this play was directed by a Roman Catholic and was broadcast for one purpose only and that was to damage the Orange Order (laughs) and guess what? It worked. Sickening. Um, I don't think the Orange Order needs any help from anybody to damage their reputation. They seem to have done a pretty good job of that over the years. And then I also had a couple of other reviews which I thought were very good. I went on to rangersmedia.co.uk and someone had asked if, it was a Canadian actually, had uh, asked if anyone had seen this. And someone uh, he said, yeah, I watched it. I thought the tunes were great. Billy Conley was great. Uh, so yeah, has anyone seen this play for today? First response... It's no a play, it's a film, and <laughs> it's no bad. You know, I, I, we, we, when I chose this, I did think quite carefully about it. So I was like, you know, I mean, we obviously don't have a widespread, like a massive following. But, <laughs> you know, I, and I wasn't worried about anybody getting annoyed with us because of something that we said that could be construed could, could be construed as taking the piss out of the Orange Lodge or vice versa. Because to be quite honest, I don't really need anybody like that listening to the podcast, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? I mean it's like I said before, you and I don't care either way. Right. You know, there unfortunately there's an element of Celtic fans, there's an element of Rangers fans that don't cover themselves in glory 
especially when both teams play against each other, you know, and all and a lot of this comes into it, you know. Football's got nothing to do with this. It's uh, a young guy trying to find his way and he's found something that he's a part of. And what I took out of this was that the relationship that he has with his mm-hmm. father and with yeah. his mother and his father is trying to tell him effectively, don't make the mistakes I did, son. And even in the first scene when he's saying to him, you're going to regret that King Billy yeah. tattoo because I know I did. Yeah, the yeah. father is trying to say, don't make the same mistakes that I made. Yeah. And the mother is also trying to convey to him, don't make the same mistakes your father did. Yeah. It's, it's wholesome at the end of the day. I think the father-son relationship comes across very well. And the dad dotes on his son. Yeah. He takes his clothes to him, uh, to the pub after his march. He's in the pub with him. His dad gets pissed extremely quickly, though. And <laughs> yeah. He does get hammered quite quickly. But his son looks after him, takes him out, sends him on his merry way home. And I think overall, it's a, it's a nice message if you look into it in that way. Ewan Davidson, writing for the BFI Screen Online, says that the play is about beliefs and innocence and the desire to escape. As Lizzie tells John, at least you believe in something. Dan despises all the organisations on both sides of Glasgow, Protestant-Catholic divide. He ridicules what he sees as their moral hypocrisies, like suffering for the cause. There is pointed irony in the fact that the only injury John incurs over the whole day is from a confused drunk. Dan points out the divisions that the organisations cause and the many contradictions from Scottish history that make their positions absurd. His quiet socialist conviction is delivered with great pathos. You know, I, I think that little paragraph, to your point, does sum the whole thing up, really. You know what I mean? Um, uh, the, 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 the confused drunk is a friend of a very young Alex Norton. Yes. <laughs> See there, the two guys singing in the bus stop. Um, always good. Always good when Alex Norton pops up. He was a good-looking young man, wasn't he? <laughs> day. Oh, he certainly was. Yeah, uh, as we said before in the podcast, like a young Phil Collins. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that I would say about this is, in fact, it's two things I would say. He gets punched in the mouth, and that's his only real injury. Yeah. But when he gets home, Lizzie cooks up a really quick dinner for him. She's lightning fast. And two, he's chewing very well with a burst mouth. You can see the yeah. blood in his mouth, but he's still chewing away on whatever it is he's eating. You wouldn't yeah. be doing that. No way. His, his, his fat lip is actually miraculously healed by the time he gets in bed. Did you notice that as well? I did gone. not notice that. No, I'll have to watch that again. Didn't notice that. i tell you something that I liked in this, and it, and it can reminded me of my days working in like, the pub. Like, it's probably sort of kind of grown-ups pubs, is the the kind of warm and respectful kind of relationship between the young guys and the older guys. You know what I mean? So John's there. He's only 17, or he's supposed to be only 17. No. He's having a beer with his dad. He's having a beer with his dad's mate. He's drinking pints with whiskey chasers. Now, I don't know about you, but at 17, I wouldn't be drinking pints of heavy with whiskey chasers. Fuck's sake. Um, but um, but I did like that. There was no sort of um, sort of generational sort of camp. It was, you know, they, they're there together. They're all getting on well, laughing at the same jokes, laughing at each other's jokes and stuff. You know, it, it wasn't a case of, you know, we're the... 1970. I'm a member of the 1970s generation, and I don't identify with my dad's generation or his mates or whatever. Like maybe McDougal's written that to show that John's circumstances 
aren't that different from what his dad's were when he was younger or his dad's friends, you know, out of school, into the yards or wherever he's gone. No, and it's only casually referenced at the end of the film when uh, John effectively tells him that he wants to leave home and his dad says to him, like, no, you're, you're not 19. Because I guess at that time you had to be 19 to be classed as an adult. And yeah, he says like so. you're only seventeen. You shouldn't be out drinking, but you still are. And yeah, it was it. It says it says you're you're going to drink despite what I say. Yeah, right. So, yeah. yeah, very well yeah. done. Um, yeah. Now, I want to mention for the minute uh, the actor Ken Hutchison mm. who plays Rab. So. Yeah. I've looked into Ken before when we did um, just a boys game because obviously yeah. he's one of the main leads in that. So seemingly, like, the, the, the sort of general consensus on Ken Hutchison is that he was one of the best character actors of this time, like in the seventies. Like he, he he's, he's in Straw Dogs, the Sam mm-hmm. Peckinpah film. I think he's he's one of the guys who rapes. Susan George's mm-hmm. character. Apparently, apparently he got on really well with Sam Peckinpah, the director, the famous American director who directed like The Wild Bunch, a lot of other mil- a, lot, a lot of other films. They bonded over the fact that they both liked a right good fucking drink, uh, which apparently the rest of the cast, Dustin Hoffman among them, imagine him being quite a serious sort of professional actor, didn't appreciate. But seemingly he the sort of general consensus is that he was a bit wary about being very well known and successful as an mm. actor. He, he liked to act, but um the sort of general feeling is is that he could have been massive, like a huge Scottish actor of his generation and he, he chose a bit of a different path. Mm. If you look at his IMDB, he um he's obviously got the plays for today, he's got a, he's got an episode of Shoestring, he's got an episode of Target, he's got an episode of um uh, Bergerac. He, he stars in the uh, old BBC adaptation of Wuthering Heights where he plays Heathcliff. Um, but yeah, he's just sort of, just not really kind of wanted to go to... Hey, the article I read said that Hollywood's loss was British television's gain. But yeah. uh, I don't know. They, they, it's, a bit, it's, a bit, it's, it's also a bit, it's kind of a bit of a mystery as to why he never kind of chased after it, you know, when he was clearly really yeah. fucking good at it. No, it was incredible. Because, I mean, the, the character... If you, if you think about Dancer and you think about... Uh, this character Rab, unless unless like you saw the credit, you wouldn't know it was the same guy. He, no, he, he's, not he at seems all. he seems smaller. You know, like his posture as Rab is terrible. There's a scene when he's taking a drink, and it's like he's almost got a fucking hump the way he's, he's sort of yeah. bent over and everything. And then his dancer, he's tall, kind of good looking, charming guy. You know, he's a great actor. Yeah. And what are they like? Three, four years apart? Yeah. Yeah, three years apart. Yeah, no, four years. Yeah, four years. You're right. Yeah, incredible. the The range that he has, he he could have gone on to do so much more. Yeah, yeah. shame. Yeah, great actor. So, what else? Have you got anything else about the the minefield? Apparently, that <laughs> it's just another Saturday. Or shall we put it through our awards? The only other thing I would say is the the pure nonchalance of, and I did quite like it. It's when John gets something thrown at him in Fiend Alley and he takes his jumper off and the audience are kind of guessing and you're thinking, is someone just thrown shit at him? And it's not until five minutes later that he does say, I had a key thrown on me. And you're like, ah, it was a shite. Because he takes his jumper off and sniffs it and you're yeah. thinking, oh, it must have been. He wipes his fingers on the fucking parked van beside him. <laughs> yeah, I like that. 
But other than that, no, I think let's run it through the awards. What's up first? Okay, so the Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. I I just had John kind of running about in his wife fronts in the morning before he got dressed. (laughs) Yeah, well, I put none for that, so let's go with that then. Yeah, not not very gratuitous. So the James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. Like we said earlier on in the pod, there's definitely a case for Eileen McCallum being the, the female James Cosmo. I mean... She's literally in being in every popular and not so popular Scottish production on the television over the last 50 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, Eileen McCallum is the only name I have down. Um, She was in every episode, not every episode, sorry, but she was in the first episode of Take the High Road and she was in the last episode and she was in it for the whole stint. She's Um, she's now in River City. She's in the the Steam with Peter Mullen. And still game. Still game. Uh, she's um, she was in. There was a Scottish soap opera which you can see a bit of online on uh, YouTube if you're if you're interested. Uh, which is sort of it's kind of counted like a kind of false start for Take the High Road called hmm. Garnock Way. Sort of like the first shot at a Scottish soap opera. Jenna Kelly's in it oh. as well. Yeah, she's, uh, she's in absolutely everything. Well, um, Eileen McCallum wins it for sure. Yeah, for sure. So the. Jake McQuillan, your Tzu Award. Who did you give this one to? I had two, which I presume there's only two, well, really. Yeah. Well, no, there's what we mentioned earlier. So Paddy, played by Billy Conley, going straight in with a heed outside the pub. Mm. There's obviously Alex Norton's pal giving Joe uh, sorry, giving John a sore face. Oh yeah, of course. And there's Jim, Joe's friend, kind of turning on one of the lodgemen. In the alley, it's, I think when the lodge, when the orange lodge guy is trying to restrain him, and he sticks the head in him or something, you know, they, you know the guy that we see going down the slide in Glasgow Green. Oh yeah. Well, my other one was the guy at uh, Rab when he, the old man at the window. Oh yeah. And it's, of course. I know you mentioned it earlier, but it's almost like an Evil Dead stop motion kind of the the way it's done, the way it cuts. You see mm. his fist and then that. Uh, but yeah, I'd give it to Billy Conley sticking the head on yeah. the razor slasher. Yeah. Um, we've sort of spoken about it already, I guess. But the Francis Begbie Award for swearing. The only thing is when Joe gives the joke about the shite and the dirty bastard. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of swearing in this at all, as no. we discussed. And that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, I mean, I think bastard is like the probably the strongest swear word that's used in the whole thing you know so and then archetypal scottish moment west coast sectarianism <laughs> i shied away from that what did you go for well I, I don't know i sort of struggled a bit with it because there's a lot of stuff that's um that's quite sort of particular to glasgow which I don't think is fair to call the archetypally Scottish. But what I had, because I've never seen this anywhere else on any of my travels, is guys chasing pints with nips. (laughs) Don't think anyone else does that. (laughs) Is that an archetypal Scottish thing, do you think? I'm only saying that because I've never seen anybody. I've never seen that anywhere else. And like I, I lived in England for a lot of years. You know, I've been in like English boozers. I mean, you lived in Norwich for a year. Did you ever see anybody ordering a pint and a half, or a, not a half, but like a nip? No, I didn't. And I lived in Dubai for twelve yeah. years and went to the pub quite a lot <laughs> with a lot of English and Dutch and Danish people. And I yeah. cannot recall ever seeing anyone doing that either. So you're right. 
it mm. could be a very archetypal Scottish moment. Yeah, I think you're right. What did you have? Um, I had the word key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The word keely is quite a Scottish one as well. You'd, you know, running about like a keely. There was also when the old guy gets up in the pub uh, after some encouragement and sings a barely coherent song. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's an Italian song, isn't it? Is it supposed to be an Italian song? It's not just that, you know, when Billy Conley does that whole line and he's an audience with and he talks about the Scottish singers, though, hey, oh, and you only get like one or two words of English. I okay, thought that was it. maybe. I thought it was like an Italian song. I don't know. Go back and read that again and watch that again. You, you, you could maybe be right, I don't know. know. And then finally, the Sean Connery Awards. Who do you think wins the movie? I think it has to be John Morrison. I think he's absolutely brilliant. He's in, he's in every single scene, pretty much. And to your point, obviously, John starts the day very enthusiastic about being a member of the Lodge, has a real crisis of, has a few sort of conflicts about his beliefs throughout the course of the day, um, sort of culminating with a riot in the in the on, on uh, Duncan Street, uh, otherwise known as Fenian Alley, um, and then obviously his sort of journey home after the fight outside the pub. You know, that you mentioned earlier, the way he plays it, despite the fact that he's going off to the Orange Band, he's still a sympathetic character. I think the only thing is it's a wee bit disappointing. After all, his sort of soul-searching and stuff in the last sort of act and a half of the film, how the last line of the movie is him saying, we are the people. So you're sort of left with this sort of ambiguous ending. Well, has he learned a lesson? Or is it just like, is it just going to be like he's had an adventure that day and it'll be one to talk about, you know, running away from the police, getting the head stuck on him, as well getting punched by the guy in the bus stop and everything else, or is he, you know, is he going to stick to these convictions that he, the conversation that he had with his dad, is he going to save up money and go somewhere else, you know? But I I, th- I thought he was really good in it, a really good act. What did you have? Bill Henderson. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Bill Henderson would certainly would be my second choice. I mean, I, I've not, you know, I looked at his IMDb, he was another one that was in Garnock Way. <laughs> he was also in Take the High Road. But he's brilliant uh, as Dan, the dad. You know, really, really good. And they, especially when his whole sort of demeanour kind of changes towards the end of his last sort of scene. You know, he's been wisecracking. You know, they've been he's been having a laugh at Lizzie's expense and everything, and not taking things too seriously. To the point where he realises that if John decides to go, she'll she'll throw him out. You know, she'll blame him. She'll chuck him out and everything. And he, you know, he he start he, he sort of goes from being sort of John's pal to trying to be his father in the last kind of couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think I would maybe give it to that. Actually, give it to Bill Henderson on reflection. I thought it came across great in terms of the the character of this husband who he's so nice to John. You can tell he dotes on his son with Lizzie. He's the relationship they have. Okay, but. I say with John, when he comes down, he says, like, take my coat, I'll come to the bus stop with you. And he's trying to be so nice and trying to placate his wife and try to keep a happy balance. And Lizzie does make a few jokes and comments about him being a drunk and getting pished. And so does John as well. And he likes a drink and he does say, you know, he works all week and then he just likes getting a drink at the weekend. But I think he's a good character. He wants to do well. He's a nice guy. He's just looking out for his son. And he wins it for me. All right. Well, that was just on a Saturday. If you've got any strong beliefs, <laughs> don't don't write in and tell us about them. <laughs> didn't set out to upset any of you, regardless of uh, what side of the divide you might fall upon. Obviously, that was my choice. 
um, for this episode. It's your choice for the next one, Nikki. So what are we going to be watching? Well, next time, Greg, I'd like to go back to 1995. Hey, that was our glory days. Glory days with denim jacket. <laughs> well, we didn't knew each other back then, but hey, 1995, eh? What a great year. Although, actually, it came out in 1995, but I'd like to go back to 1713. And I want to look at the life and times of Robert Roy McGregor and look at 1995's Rob Roy. <laughs> I was not expecting that ever to come up on this valley. So <laughs> um, I actually I actually saw this. It was on the TV here um, a couple of months ago. So I, I, I didn't see the whole thing. Um, I just saw the last half an hour or so. But what a cast. Yeah, awesome what cast. What a non-Scottish cast. Well, Brian Cox is in there. <laughs> and I think that's about it. Right then. <laughs> well, okay. Well, it does count, though. It's set in Scotland. It's about one of Scotland's greatest legends. But if you look at the cast, yeah, it's quite slim pickings, I think. Okay. Well, I look forward to watching Rob Roy. I do like a bit of Liam Neeson. And well, that's a bit good. of Eric Stoltz. <laughs> and a bit of Jessica Lange. And a bit of Tim Roth as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, a bit of Tim Roth. Um, well, before, before you ask me, I have been watching videos to teach me how to use WordPress properly so I'm very because WordPress is not that easy to use it's not very intuitive as I'm sure people that have their own websites and things that listen to the podcast will know well um so I've been I've been learning so we should we should have something up there very soon <laughs> fantastic well thank you for listening everyone if you'd like to get in touch with us you can follow us on Instagram at culture swally pod or you can follow us on Twitter at swally pod or why don't you drop us an email on cultureswally at gmail.com with anything you would like us to review or anything that you've seen in the news that you'd like us to cover. And please feel free to give us a little rating, review, subscription on iTunes, whatever you'd like to do. It really helps the podcast to grow. So, until next time, Rob Roy. Until next time, Rob Roy. I wonder if Rob Roy was a Catholic or a Protestant. We'll find out. (laughs) I feel like he was Church of Scotland. We'll delve (laughs) into that next episode. He was an outlaw, so... Must have been a prodi. Okay, doke. If I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy. Come on, oh, hold on, hold on. The nyanya's gonna give us a song. Come on, yeah, give us a chat. That's the stuff. Yeah. Keeps him happy, his soul's got a little else. Yeah, I can see that. How'd you get me to stop? Go on yourself, Yanya. Belt it out. Yeah.